He scopes out the present, shakes out the past, and keeps an eye out on the future. This is the Racing with Bruno podcast. Now, from Lexington, Kentucky, here's Bruno DiGiulio. Hey, welcome. This is Bruno DiGiulio, Racing with Bruno. And uh, Joe and I welcome you to the to the podcast. Uh, Travers Week, believe it or not, it's Travers Week. And we're a month away from the Kentucky Derby. I wrote out a, a newsletter this morning, and I sent it out. And I put 60 days to the, to the Kentucky Derby. What was I thinking? It's 30 days. So this new normal isn't so normal for me, I guess. But I'm, I've got a great guest for you, and uh, he is the trainer for Calumet Farm, Jack Sisterson. He was the man of the hour uh, this weekend, winning the personal ensign with Vexatious and coming back in, 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 uh, on the card and winning whatever fast. Uh, the former Romans who ran second in the Preakness, who has gotten to be very, very good, and Jack's figured him out. So looking forward to talking to Jack. Um, before we go to Jack, as we are putting a call in to him, I want to tell you we've got our Kentucky Derby and Breeders' Cup packages up on the site at racingwithbruno.com. Get on board. Uh, it, I, I, I think you'll like the 90-day the, the one. The, we've got credits, and we have the 90-day all-inclusive access. Get on board and join us for the Kentucky Derby, the rest of Saratoga, and going all the way through the Breeders' Cup in November. Well, let's bring in the man of the hour, Mr. Jack Sisterson. Jack, welcome to the Racing with Bruno podcast, and congratulations on a phenomenal weekend. Oh, thanks for having me, Bruno, and I suppose if it wasn't for the horses, we all wouldn't be here, so first and foremost, i got to thank Texas and the rest of the, the horses and the staff for putting me in that position. Now... Last year, you and I were talking before. Uh, was I do not believe it was personal answer. Which race did Vexatious run in last year? She ran last summer in the summer Connolly at uh, Saratoga. And we had talked after she had worked over the main track, and we were both in, in agreement that she was going to run huge. And I believe she made about three different runs on the front end to try to stave off blue price and got nailed right on the wire. That was painful. This time, did you get that same feeling down the stretch again? You know, it's funny. I remember last year, I actually wasn't there for the, for the work at Saratoga, but I remember you calling me. I was in Arlington for the Arlington Million with, um, Bandu, and you called me, Bruno. It must have been about 10 minutes after the work, saying, wow, your filly just worked phenomenal. Um, she's going to run a big race. And Mark, the assistant who was there, said he was breezing her. Said she felt great, couldn't be doing any better. So we led to believe she was going to run a big race last summer, which she did, only to be beat by Blue Prize. And fast forward to this year, you sort of, in a similar position, and you see Midnight Pursuit coming and Vexatious obviously making her move. I think the one benefit I could be wrong in saying this this year was to last year Vexations opened up, I think, three or four lengths as if she was going to go on and win the race and sort of Blue Prize came and 
sort of nailed us right on the wire to where this year it actually might have helped Texas just midnight to see just sitting there sort of on a hip pressure and the whole way. Um, could that have helped us win it? I don't know, but I, I strongly believe Vexatius is sort of fed off the pressure of Midnight Pursue down the whole stretch and allowed Vexatius to keep ahead in front for the win. And then you pulled off another win with Everfast. That's two wins for Everfast for you, correct now? No, just one. Uh, oh, just one. Oh, you got beat by a nose at Oakland, didn't you? Yeah, uh, actually, I knows both times, Oaklawn and Churchill in the blame by Owndale. Brad Cox's Owndale beat us on the on the wire in the blame state for Churchill. So we've had two tough beats with him and fortunately enough, a low drop in class um, and a cut back in distance did the trick for him. Now, with Vexatious winning the personal ensign and then ever fast winning the allowance race. Um, Jack, I, I got to tell you, uh, you're catching, uh, you're catching the eye out there and Calumet farm. I got to give them a lot of credit. They snapped you up, uh, from the Doug O'Neill barn and I've known you since geez, we go back before I'll have another. And we've had a few yeah. <laughs> together. We've yeah. had a few, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, we go before that, and you were O'Neill's main man, basically shipping um, shipping horses around the country. How did that prepare you to go out on your own? That's a pretty big step, especially having as many horses as you do with Calumet. Yes, and obviously thanks to Doug and everyone else that allowed me to work underneath and you learn, you know, invaluable sort of lessons sort of sit on and off the field and obviously thanks to Doug he allowed me to to ship all the way around the world with grade one horses and you get to experience the the better side of the business if you could say that and um that was for years and I think Doug would agree with me um it's the horses that you, it's not rocket science. If you're provided the good horse, it's the horses that do all the hard work. There's no secret to the business or, um, you know, inside or anything like that. If you've got a good horse, they'll be able to, to take you on a journey that you'll, you'll never experience again. Now, my experience with you is, is in, as, as a trainer is you are, you are very receptive to information. Uh, you exchange information. You, we go back and forth. We talk about a work. Um, a lot of trainers don't do that. Um, you obviously don't give away the store, but you are very open to to other ideas, to uh, to other uh, opinions on a horse on a work. Uh, I have to think that really helps you out to be such an open-minded person. I think massively, and I, I could be wrong in saying that, but there is no I in team, and, you know, I can only see so much. You know, I like to ask my exercise riders, what do they feel underneath them? Because I can only see so much as they go by. 
they get to feel exactly what's underneath them. Too hard to work. I've obviously called you numerous times. What do you think? And I can only see so much. And I, I love a second and third opinion that um, it only helps me to uh, to better myself. And I make mistakes every day. And fingers crossed I'm learning from those. But um, the more people I can surround myself, you know, to to help, to better, to to have an input, I think it it all it's only helped me put it that way. And I'm open, you know, credit to the people I've got working for me. I'm only as good as the people behind me. I ask them a lot of questions. Um like I said, I've called you numerous times on works and things like that and I'll never stop that whether it's the right thing or a wrong thing to do. Um bearing I'm staying within the I'd I I'd never sort of ask someone out of the boundaries where I I don't belong, but whether it's a horse of mine and I called you on, hey Bruno, what do you think? I, it, it, your opinion, someone else's opinion, it, it only helps me sort of plot a future for that certain horse I'm asking about. We have to be careful. This might spark the entire social media to be giving you their opinions now. Uh, <laughs> so I apologize for that from the start. Uh, but the one thing, the the one thing that I'd like to talk to you about. First of all, tell us about who Jack Sisterson is. Who are you? Where are you from? I'm from Durham, England, and came went to University of Louisville. Was fortunate enough to to get a soccer scholarship there, play a sport I love, and study a sport I love also in horse racing. I went to the equine program there and played soccer and worked summers for Todd Pletcher at Churchill Downs. So that was my first introduction to the American side of racing was hot walking for Todd. And the first year I walked into the barn at Todd, Todd's barn at Churchill, there was Rags to Riches, one of the Kentucky Oaks, Octave, who was second, English Channel, Scat Daddy, Any Given Saturday, Circular Key. I could go on in the mall at the time. I was new to American racing, so I didn't know, and I hope I don't offend anyone, so I didn't know who Rags to Riches was at the time, who English Channel was at the time, who Scat Daddy was at the time. I was just this soccer student walking into a barn wanting to learn the American side of race, unfortunately enough, Todd took me under his wing there and fast forward would be 15 years later, I'm actually training an offspring of English Channel and I look back now and competing against Scat Daddies and um, it's pretty amazing Todd's success. And you were right across from the David Vance barn. Yes. Because we had horses. That's where I actually came across with you. I was I had horses with uh, with David during that time, and um, but I, I did want to ask you about your your soccer. Were you good enough to be a pro? <laughs> Probably not, because I would have been pro now. I had in, uh, knee problems my junior year and had two knee operations and couldn't couldn't play anymore. Um, so fortunately, I had to to hang the boots up, quote unquote, and retire from that and focus on a second career. Um, what what, what which, position did you play? Um, I was 
right back, right and left back defence. I wasn't quick enough. I wasn't fit enough to play midfield. I wasn't fast enough to play a striker, centre forward. So they had to put me somewhere. So I was um, defence. Well, coming from a from a former college semi-pro soccer player, I I totally feel with you. Uh, and uh, it's a great sport, and I grew up playing it, and I was lucky enough to play it for a long time. And and both of us ended up in the racing game. How coincidental. But uh, yeah. how did you get hooked up with Calumet Farm? Um, well, it was actually through um, Doug trained a few horses. Um, as a, everybody knows, we've got several trainers, and I actually went to Oakland for Doug that winter um me disassembled it would have been three years two or three years ago three years ago and doug thanks to doug said if you ever want to go out and train on your own i think having a small string on your own you get to experience it hand on you know jockey's agents entering you know you can not pay my bills, but you can handle the bills. You can do everything to where you're on your own, but you're not at the same time. And Calumet had say, two or three horses at Oakland, and Doug said, you know, you can um, update myself, you can update the owners, you can do everything. So my introduction, obviously, to Calumet was just updating them once, a couple of times a month on how the horses were doing it at, um, at Oakland and Fast forward a few months, a year later, that um, they'd asked me, was I thinking about training on my own? And obviously, I said at some point I'd love to. And and obviously, here I am. I started off with a, a few for them, and um, they they sent me a few more after that. That was Joe. You know, he was uh, chiming in on. Uh, you know, he thinks you need <laughs> a few more horses, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, he likes to make his cameo appearances on the show. He's very, very <laughs> good about that, you know. And he looks at me like, "Are you on the air?" Okay, great. I get to chime in. Um, so now, but uh, it, I will say that Calumet was incredibly uh, taken by you to 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 jump in on and and actually threw you a lot of horses right away. How was that going from Doug O'Neill, where you really kind of you, you, you're, you, Doug is your main man, and now you're on your own. You got to make your own decisions. How was that when you first, you know, when you first started training your own horses with Calumet? You know, thanks to, to Calumet, Doug, and the rest of the guys who who supported me along the way. It was pretty, you know, seamless, and yeah, along you go from west to east coast and. It's not rocket science. You, you sort of, you provide, Calumet provided me a lot of things and first and foremost, the horses and you just sort of wake up and although you're at a different track, you, you sort of get to know each horse. Uh, the hardest part, of, I suppose, about it was getting to know each horse individually. Um, you go from, you know, I was working in Doug's barn who has, say, 100 horses at the time. So you, you, I was working day in and day out with the same horse every day. Well, fast forward a week later, I had, you know, five or ten horses that I'd never been around. So the hardest part was getting to know each horse and things like that. 
Um, the training-wise, thanks to Doug, I just took um, his training method out of his system and just implemented it here and, you know, went on with it. And um, took a month or so to two months to get our first as a Baltero, our first winner, and was a fully called next dance that we were all excited about. And um, after that, you know, I was able to get a few more horses and, you know, we, we had a lot of action going on. And you, of course, you know, you did very well uh, with Bandua, which was one of my favorite horses to watch train. And I think he's coming back, correct? He is, yeah. You know, unfortunately... We'd had a Arlington summer campaign for him this summer, as everyone knows how well he's done at Arlington, and um, we wanted to sort of focus on that. But unfortunately, they um, they didn't have a state schedule this summer. So, Bandu is a horse that I believe he, he he's only going to get better with age. Had a little bit of set, a little setback after the Breeders' Cup, and we want, we wanted to do what's right by Bandu and give them plenty of time off because we you know firmly believe he's going to be a very good you know five six seven year old um so we he's coming back you'll sort of see him you know towards the end of the summer fall and um fingers crossed we've got several good years left left in of him do you miss being out in california yeah um (laughs) that's a great question um you know, the lifestyle's great and it's hard because I love being here at Keeneland. Um, it's fantastic for the horses and um, you know, if it wasn't for the horses, I wouldn't be here. So when I see the horses, the facility I've got here at Keeneland, they're in such a happy stage in their career. It allows me to be happy. And so I, I sort of don't, think of anything else really to be honest Bruno that um, I'm so happy been here at Keene and, and Lexington here that it, it sort of it allows me to focus on what's here and there is certain things I do miss and obviously the people I miss out there in California and things like that and you know whether it's Santa Anita or Del Mar and I've always got you know the racing on in the background in California following it every day no, the one thing that's that I have been privy to is I, I you have invited me to come over to the barn a few times over at Keeneland, and I have to tell you, your barn is immaculate, and it's one of the most beautiful barns, not only at Keeneland, but that I ever been in in racing overall. It's the, the I mean, it, it is a state of the art barn that you have uh you have your own parking lots i mean how fun is it to drive into keeneland well first of all it's an amazing experience in itself and having such a a great barn with such good horses and you've got some well-bred animals in your barn which i'm going to ask you about i'm going to have you talk this about some of your two-year-olds some of your stakes horses some horses to watch but I, I, you have to be really proud when you walk into that office every day. I think you hit the nail on the head there, Bruno, just driving into Keeneland alone, how nice and prestigious it is. And then I've, like you said, got a beautiful barn, thanks to Calumet. And, um, you know, it's 
it's like when you go home, you want to be proud of, you know, your home, you keep it clean and tidy and things like that. And that's what I'd like to, how I'd like to represent, you know, my working environment. You know, we take pride in who we are and what we present. And, you know, again, thanks to Kelly, we've got a beautiful barn with, you know, individual turnout paddocks for each horse. And, wow. you know, as we keep them in training, we can allow them to be a horse at the same time. Um, and you do. You actually um, have, people that don't understand this, your barn, you have individual paddocks that you can take out a horse, put them out there, and let them graze, let them run around. Give us an idea of, an, of just a general, let's say vexatious. You know, How often do you put out her in a paddock and let her roam around and enjoy being a horse? Pending whether she'd be turned out every day. I'm... Um, you know, for instance, last year she, she ran at Keenan in the spin. So it didn't perform um, up to her um, level um, for, for whatever reason. I haven't yet to, to know, but everyone has their off day. But she was in the paddock the morning of the spinster. Um, she's happy out there. That you know, I've had several fillies that um, we've basically trained out the paddock. Um, the Explain that. Explain that. Explain that. Basically, you know, so I get to the barn at three o'clock. Um, the grooms will start trickling at three thirty, four o'clock, and the first set goes out at five five thirty at Keenan. That's when the track opens. So we had a filly. Um, filly, she actually she won the Arlington Matron Coach Whip. She's a beautiful girl filly. Um, but she's on the high strung side, so we thought. Paddock is a perfect thing for her. Get her mind off racing and things like that. So she's fed breakfast at three o'clock in the morning. She finishes the breakfast. She's turned out in the paddock. This would be 3.45-ish. The only time she's brought inside the barn is to put the tack on, to leg the rider up. She's back outside the barn, walks to the Keenan main track. She trains at 5.30 in the morning, but it's nice and quiet. It's still, still dark. She comes back in the barn, the saddle's taken off, she gets a bath, she cools out, she goes back in the paddock. And the only time, so basically, she spends more time in the paddock than in her stall alone. So we trained that filly from the paddock and, you know, the results sort of proved to, did that actually work for her? Because her form was sort of skeptical before we did that and, we started to turn her out and leave her in the paddock and her phone gradually came around and she ended up being a grade three winner for us. That's, Thanks that's the paddock. amazing. Now you have the pleasure and, and the actual uh, ability to do so. Um, by the way, Joe heard you talking about that. He said he wants to go in your paddock. How big <laughs> is your paddock? We've got different sizes, um, um, you know, depending on, if, whether it's a first-time horseman turn out, because typically we wouldn't just turn a... I mean, there's a lot of risks involved in that. Um, we felt, especially with the colts, um, you know, the last thing we want to do is actually turn a horse out that's in full training for the first time into a paddock. And, you know, you, you worry them, you know, there's no way around, but potentially running through a fence or something like that. So we, we've got... Um, round pens that we, we will start them out in to get used to being actually outside and then we'll gradually build them. I, I don't know 
excuse me, Bruno, I don't know the exact size, but we've got, you know, the typical round pen, and then we've got a paddock that's slightly bigger than the round pen, and then we've got one that's slightly bigger. So we'll gradually build it up. Um, and the actual regular size paddock is big enough, allow them to to having a buck and a kick and a roll and things like that. And from a mental standpoint, the, for them to think they're, they're free enough out there, but at the same time, not jeopardize themselves, you know, and do something that we wouldn't want to to do while they're still in training. So, um, Yeah, that can be dangerous with certain horses. They uh, Horses have an ability of getting themselves hurt, don't they? Yeah, and especially, you know, when they're in training, they're on that high energy side that um, we do typically 90% of the bomb when they run. Um, that first day after, if the weather's nice, they'll be turned out in the paddock. Um, and we allow them to tell us, you know, usually we, we give them three days off, um, bring them back to the track and start back with them after a race, but some horses take races harder than others and we might give them four or five days off um, and kick them out in the paddock and they'll tell you when they're ready to come back into training when that energy level starts building back up and they might, might start jogging around or galloping around in the paddock. That's when we know the soul attack back on them and start back with them. Um, again, it's been able to do that with them. Um, it's just enhanced our program and allowed our horses to be that much happier with their training and you know most of them have, have shown that in the results now wanted to go around your barn a little bit uh yeah. vexatious would have to be right now at the top who would be behind uh, god we've got sort of um several that are sort of in that running line for that um you know, obviously, we've got Lexitonia that um, I do think is a horse that's um, relatively... I did a bad job last year of not... I mismanaged him last year and didn't treat him as a true dirt sprinter. Um, I think he's relatively unexposed on that sort of dirt sprinting category to where I think he's going to continue to get better with age. So um, I thought he ran a respectable race in the Bing Crosby to where... He showed he could compete with uh, the type of horses like that. So I think he'll continue to, to improve, and there's a big race winning him. Um, we've obviously got Everfast that uh, is lingering around. I know it was a one of the only one, but he's shown that he can be competitive against better type of horses, so he's going to step up his game a bit his next run. Um, we've got True Timber, who, um, as you know, Bruno is very... Um, workman like in the mornings and we were anxious to get him back to the races in the afternoon because he's a horse that does his bare minimum with us anywhere working wise so he i, I think called him a lollygagger he's a <laughs> yeah. lollygagger in the morning yeah. that's him um so we were anxious to get him back to the races to get him you know fit and things like that so i think as we continue to run him he'll step up his game of it and be able to compete at the lab. So we've got several horses at that, um, that sort of vexatious and underneath her. That, and then we've got the two-year-olds that, you know, we've only run a few, but we'll continue to run them throughout the rest of the summer and fall and 
I think some of those will start stepping up as well. And I don't see you as being as a trainer that's going to go all out to to with, with a two-year-old. Well, you and I talked about a horse named Western Pharaoh. Am I not mistaken on that one? Yeah, we've got several that, um, as you know, we we never win first. We've won a couple first time out, but usually it takes two or three runs for our two-year-olds to to hit hit their peak performance and fitness and. Um, and that's just the way we're, I'm going to operate. Um, I like to to run them and progress, educate at the same time, and fingers crossed, have a have a good three, four, five year old at the same time. Um, by all means, I'm not going to take away any sort of precociousness out of a two year old. If one can go on and win first time out, obviously we won't take that away from. But at the same time, just the way we train. Um, they're always going to improve with racism on the long Well, let's talk about that real quick. A lot of people don't understand. They think it's very sexy to win first time out. How hard is it, number one, to prepare a horse to win first time out? And number two, how hard is it on that horse to be ready first time out? You know, and I could, everyone's got their own opinion. And for me, it would be difficult for me to change the training style that I do it because I'd, I'd like to get at least six watts into them. Um, I've never debuted a whole ship in a, in a four and a half furlong race, so um, they obviously wouldn't need, I'd assume, six works to run four and a half. Usually I start running them three quarters and things like that, so at the bare minimum, I'd like six watts into them. Ideally, I'd like, you know, eight to get a better foundation. Um, and we gradually each week step it up, consistently changing, um, workmates with them and, um, and things like that. And working one week down on the inside rail, the next week on the outside in behind, you know, in front, trying to, to educate them to where they run first time. It's not all completely new. And I suppose it's like going to school that you, you start, you know, count one, two, three, four, and then you learn the alphabet and you let, you know, you start gradually putting things together. Um, and I'm never going to change the program that I do. So I don't want to throw too many things at them. And then you've got the gate as well, Bruno, you got to involve that into that program as well. So for me, it'd be very difficult, um, to get a horse to win first time out because I like to be patient and um, I'm allowed. Well, let's let's use an example. Thing. Let's use an example. Snake Doctor. Um, we chatted a couple of times about him, and he didn't run to your expectations first time out, but that doesn't mean the horse can't run, right? Right, exactly. Um, we all and still have very high hopes for that horse, and he's probably, if he's not at the top, he's, close to the top of our um, highly regarded two-year-olds. And obviously, you know, better than I would, we all like the horse going into the race off this, off his works. And, um, you know, we, we'd we had to team up with Lexitonium one time um, as a workmate in the mornings. And he ran a respectable fourth, obviously, going into the race. We thought he could win it. You know, he didn't break his sharp and 
took that and came through at the end. And, but you was we were so high and going into it thinking he would win, and just his sort of lack of training, fitness wise, and things like that, um, you know, took its toll throughout the race. And but I wasn't disappointed because I I know for a fact he'll improve a ton second time out. He'll be better third time out. So it's so much to look forward to with that horse. No, he finished a good fourth and he galloped out. Wow, when we get that horse 100, 100% fit, what can he do then? Um, how did he come back out so, of his debut? How has he come back? After, have, you seen a, have you seen a difference? Yeah, we have. He's a very classy horse. Um, so um, from the standpoint of, um, you know, he... He didn't, um, I don't think he needed to, to sort of, from a mental standpoint, learn. But from a fitness, he's a lot more clued up now. Um, he carried himself extremely to and from the track. Even the first time we got him, you could see the presence of him just walking around in the barn. Um, but he's picked up that extra fitness. He'll either run back this weekend or midweek next week at Indiana. Um, just because of time-wise, ideally I would have liked to have gone seven eights with him, but because of the the schedule, I didn't want to push him to run last weekend in the seven eighth race at Alice. I wanted to to breeze him a couple more times and do what's right by him and um, and breeze him and not run him back quick. So we have this weekend or midweek next week penciled in for him, and I think we'll see a, a lot more fitter. Um, clued up two-year-old in his race. I think he'll break sharper and um, if he doesn't win, he'll be there or thereabouts and if he doesn't win, you'll be seeing him win third time out. Just to give you a little bit of a background to what's happening while I'm talking to you, about a couple of weeks ago, we had Mark Toothaker on from uh, Spendthrift Farm and People didn't realize what was happening behind the scenes. About 20 minutes into the interview, my boy Joe, my big husky, my 10-month-old husky, decided that he was going to steal my remote and go crunch on it at the bottom of the stairs. So while I'm doing the interview, I had to chase him down to get the remote. He proceeded for the next half hour to walk around behind me while I'm doing the interview, nipping at my heels. With you, Jack, he decided if you could hear the commotion that was happening behind the scenes to get a ball and decided that he was going to stick the ball up in my face so I could play chase with him. So sometimes these podcasts take a life of their own because of (laughs) Joe here deciding that he's going to be the star. So... I apologize for all the commotion behind this. I can't stop this boy. I could put him in his kennel and then, you know, what am I doing? But um, <laughs> le- le- talking about, uh, as you were talking about the horse named Snake Doctor that you're going to run, hopefully not this weekend, but the following weekend at um, at um, eh, at Indiana. What what other two-year-olds can you tell us about that you have in the barn? Yeah, we've got, um, we've got quite a few, and actually um, – there's quite a few that are unnamed at the moment, um, but um, they're probably about two to three weeks weeks away from debuting. Um, so I can let you know once they become them, but 
from a pedigree standpoint, they they're all very well bred to where they really shouldn't be two year olds. You'll only see the best of them as they mature into three year olds and the, the races start to get longer, which for myself it's exciting because you look forward to the three year old career and all the big races around two turns and things like that. Um so we're really in no hurry to you'll see a lot of them start to debut but um they'll be just you know, typically as snake doctor will run first time out, you'll probably see them fourth or fifth mid pack first time out and fingers crossed crossed finishing up well and as we step forward increasing distance wise you'll see it, you'll see them start picking it up as well. Um but we we've got a lot of well bred horses um that we'll we'll definitely look forward to in the future. Now now Jack, you've been all, all around the world with uh, Doug O'Neill, hopefully with Calumet you will be. Uh, tell us some of the places and some of the races you've run outside of the United States. You know, it's actually I sent to somebody this morning about it and Dubai popped up and um you know, I think fortunate in a year or two time, we might be lucky enough to have a few runners out there, but I've actually never been to Dubai, but um, I went to Saudi Arabia a couple of years ago, and Riyadh was the place I spent, and I can't say I was looking forward to going out there, but I did actually, once I was there, enjoy being out there, they were very, from a hospitality standpoint, they were, they were great, and um Obviously, it was the King's Cup I went out there for um, and spent two weeks there and experienced that side of the, you know, the the business. And it was definitely, definitely unique. And um, one place I'd obviously go back to now that respect to those big races there, um, having experienced it out there, I'd definitely go back. Um, obviously, I've been around all the, the big tracks in Europe and, experience racing meets like Royal Ascot and places like that and you go to to Long I can see you I can see you with a top and... hat on. I can see you with a top hat on. <laughs> you know, and that accent I... of yours, you know. And so <laughs> but um and, and and Jack for and the other part of it I wanted to ask you how you were feeling. You had to have uh, sort of an emergency back surgery um yeah, a few it... weeks ago. How you been and how you feeling now? A lot better, thanks, Bruno. It's one that um, during this time I haven't been able to do as much as I'd like to in the barn. It really sort of shows how good a staff I've got behind me. Again, you aren't as good as the people behind you. And during this time, they've really stepped up because I've been sort of um, immobile at times. Uh, but it's getting better. And um, slowly but surely, though, um, but has to tie me down because I'll be have a ton of energy of um, a lot of sitting around this past month. So it's tell us, tell us how you got day. hurt because I thought that was, you know, tell us how you got hurt. You know, I actually can't pinpoint exactly how I did get. What I believe how I did it was jumping over a fence trying to to, to catch a a horse that was loose, um, and I thought I just tweaked it at the time. Um, but obviously, fast forward a few months later, I must have done more damage than I thought. Um, and I obviously thought I was more athletic than I thought, because I thought I could jump over the fence, no problem. But 
you know what that's called? You know what that's called? That's getting old, Jack. I know you're in your thirties, but trust me. Yeah, I, 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 I won't be doing that anytime soon. I did that on the. Uh, I did that at Del Mar on Solana Beach. There was a, a group yeah. of uh, high school. Uh, no, it was college women's soccer team practicing, and they needed some players for a scrimmage. I was forty-two at the time. Yeah. This was two thousand. Yeah, I was about forty-two, and I went out there. And the first series that I touched the ball, I broke my fibula bone that went right through my calf mm-hmm. muscle, and it taught yeah. me that. You can't play ball anymore, <laughs> yeah. you know. So, so please don't jump fences anymore. No. Yeah, as much you know, as but, I could. No, I was sadly mistaken. But, uh, but Jack, you're one of the nicest guys out there. I know people once were allowed back at the track and at the races. People can pick you out uh, from uh, for Calumet. They can. You're the young guy that that uh, saddling the horses. I, I recommend for everybody just to say hi to Jack. You won't find a nicer guy. You won't find a more open person. Uh, you are kind of the you are the new wave of trainers. The you, the Norm Cassies, the Jason Barclays. Um, very open, very easy to talk to. Uh, I'm going to get Norm on 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 next week on on the podcast. Um, I love you guys. I think uh, being an older guy, I'm still going to be 59 this year. Being a, an older guy and, and seeing a lot, I really appreciate you, Jack. I really appreciate you coming on, taking the time to talk to us, your, your candor. And, and, and you just give us an idea that this game might be okay with you guys on board. Hey, thanks for saying that, Bruno. That means a lot. Never, you know, as we, as we move forward and um, fingers crossed, Sooner than later, the racing starts getting back to normal, and um, we couldn't do, you know, without the support of the public or the betting public, the owners, and um, so please, like you said, you know, stop by, and you know, the more people we can get involved in the sport, and you know, the, from an outside person looking in, don't be afraid to to stop by and say hi and things like that. So, um, you know. You ever in the area and want to see a whole step by? Absolutely. Well, you know, somebody might take you up on that and they'll see how an immaculate barn. And I want to say, Jack, thank you for coming on the Racing with Bruno podcast. But I've got to say, it's really been the Joe, Joe the Husky podcast because you have no idea what he's been doing <laughs> while I've been doing this. You know, he's throwing his ball at me. It rolled underneath the couch. He's underneath the couch, moving the couch. I, see, I don't know if you can hear him in the background, and it's hilarious yeah. for me to sit here, not only enjoy talking to you, but at watching him doing everything in his power to get my attention. So, <laughs> but anyway, that's why we love animals, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Jack Sisterson, if you run into him at Keeneland and you want to say hi, he is, he's a great guy to, to just uh, – to say hi to, wear your mask, please, and wear your mask. So, uh, but thanks again, Jack. I really appreciate the time, and I'll look forward to seeing you out there in the next couple of days. Likewise, Bruno. Thanks for having me. Jack Sisterson trains for Calumet Farm. Uh, obviously, Jack and I have known each other a long time. 
is just a wonderful person. He's a good trainer. He's a young trainer. He's the future of this game. And I hope you've enjoyed having him on as much as I have. Just getting a chance to talk to someone who's not going to give you the runaround and tell you straight out. Um, how about um, what's happening? Well, we've got this week. We've, uh, this is Travers Week at Saratoga. Wednesday, we're expecting rain, uh, but the rest of the week should be okay. The Saratoga Travers card is going to be fantastic. Um, how about we quickly talk about, let me bring in Ron Flatter in real quick. Hey, Ron, what are you doing over there in Vegas? Just trying to, you know, beat the cool weather we're having here. The temperature dipped to 104 uh, just a few minutes ago. So I think I just want to make sure we don't have to put the chains on the tires and Stockman's advisories <laughs> will melt. be issued here. They yes. would melt. Yeah. <laughs> but, I'm always um, whining about the a, weather here. Did you get a chance to see the, uh, the share belief this uh, weekend at Del Mar? I sure did. I did indeed. I actually, Saturday was a day I didn't wake up till very late, and I texted you to tell you that. And the race had already gone off because it was only the second race on the card. So I had to go back and watch it again and see what had happened. So it was it was very interesting to me. I, uh, I think Honor AP needs some more distance, and I don't think anybody's surprised by that thousand words baffert has said that the horse had a few bad races and just needed some tightening up and Cezanne, man i oh, 3.65 million dollars i keep thinking about that when i think about Cezanne, and it was a competitive last place finish but still a last place finish so yeah that boiled down my thoughts well you know the interesting thing about him was what Cezanne did at the start he came in Bayern-like and completely knocked Honor AP sideways. Um, and what would worry me about Honor AP, and actually if you watch the race, Cezanne, the rider on Cezanne made it a point to be on the inside of Honor AP down the backside and floating him out even further. There was definitely a little tag team action off the top rope on honor ap in that race um and here thousand words is getting an easy lead here Cezanne messing with honor ap pushing him out to four to five wide and down the stretch i did not like the way mike smith i, I did not like the way honor ap held his head he had his head cocked and i'm either wondering there was something with his bridle uh or but i watched the head on it and I always tell players and fans, and you have to watch the replay head-on, uh, uh, the head-on shots, because they give you a perspective that you don't get pan-wise. I will see something on the pan, and I'll go, I think I saw what I think I saw there. Let me watch it on the head-on to get validation of what I thought I saw. And I thought down the stretch, if you watch it, hmm. Honor AP is holding his head in an uncomfortable manner down the lane. When I went and watched the head on, I noticed the start, and then I noticed how he was lugging out down the lane when he found another uh, gear and finished. Um, I'm hoping that that bump at the start 
knocking him sideways like that did not hurt him. Um, but I did not like the way he was lugging out. It was, I don't believe it was distance. I thought it was the circumstances okay. around that whole running of the race that caused Honoré P to do what he does. Uh, it might have been distance a little bit, um, but I, I didn't like that. As far as Cezanne, um, he's not that good. Yeah. Yeah. Not that good. So it remind you of another three-point-some-odd-million-dollar horse from years ago named Dunkirk? Also had cool more money in on him? Yeah, Dunkirk. Uh, the one thing about Dunkirk, I think he won the Belmont, didn't he? No. On a broken cannon bone? No, no. No, he won a race. Didn't win the somewhere. Belmont. It, it was one. He might have ran on the Belmont, but it was one of his races that he won. He won on a on a conjular fracture, uh, you know, before he was retired. But Dunkirk, I'll tell you, as far as Baffert's are concerned, um, well, he was a Pletcher. It, uh, he was a Pletcher. But as far as Bets, uh, uh, Baffert's are concerned, the Tribunal comes to mind. Uh, 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 he was a multi mm-hmm. multi million dollar horse that couldn't breathe. Uh, he stuck that. I remember when Baffert worked him one day, and he stuck that head out. Like he couldn't get any air, and Baffert goes, "Well, I won't have any problem winning any photos with that horse." Well, you got to be, you know. But he was not good. Uh, there was another one, Mister Sekaguchi. There was another one that um, a, a Sea of Secrets that they paid two point uh, uh, two point three million, I believe. They bought him from our own Rudy Del Judas and huh. from Becky Thomas. Uh, he was a Sea of Secrets that I want to say. Charles Fipke and somebody else got in a uh, bidding war over. Um, and um, there was another couple of horses that w- they spent a lot of money on that just didn't pan out. So th- it, it, it happens. You know, he's an extremely athletic horse. I just don't know if – I think he's, he's probably a mile or a 7 eight horse. Hmm. That's my opinion. Well, that's what we're finding out. That's what this time of – their careers, I won't say this time of year because the year's so shaken up, but that's what we use this time of their careers for, isn't it? Absolutely. But, um, but Ron, uh, you want to tell us uh, a little bit of what people should be looking forward from your podcast that you put out on Fridays? Oh, thank you. That was very kind of you. Uh, I had an interview with Barclay Tag that went phenomenally well. And he was very expansive. And if you've ever seen Barclay in pre-race or post-race interviews... Not all that expansive. He was very expansive in this interview, telling stories and talking about how it was that he came to hook up with Manny Franco, taking us back to his days as a jumps rider in the 60s. And you wait, Manny Franco wasn't around in the 60s. Well, there was a guy in between that he got to know then named Angel Cordero, who was the ah. key guy. But a terrific stories. And I, was, I came away from that. We did 15 minutes, and I was like, Wow. So anyway, we'll have him, we'll have Andy Serling, and we have Chris Andrews from the South Point to do some handicapping as well. So that's what you can find on the Ron Flatter Racing Pod. Hey, can I ask you a question, by the way? Because I, I, yeah. I don't want to turn this into a, a humble brag for me, but there was an event that happened today, and I covered it for Horse Racing Nation, and that is the fact that the Kentucky Derby, and Churchill Downs in specific, but Kentucky Derby as the experience is going to be changed because jockeys that are coming in from out of state 
will be required to be at Churchill Downs no later than August 24th and will be tested at least twice for the coronavirus. So this makes a decision time for riders at Del Mar and also at Saratoga. Mike Smith says, yes, he will be at the Derby, which means he's going to have to give up some pretty lucrative rides potentially at Del Mar, both on the front and back end of all this. What was your reaction to that? You know, I, I think in this new normal, nothing surprises me. Uh, I was uh, I was warned that uh, they are going to the lockdown on the back stretch. Right. Uh, you know, down at uh, at Churchill Downs in the last two weeks, and you know what? I, I I applaud them from from taking these steps. I wish we would we would take these steps in some ways to protect the public. You know, in as far as you know, in our everyday lives, not in racing, in everyday lives. Um, and, um, this is what we're stuck with right now, right? This is what, what we have to deal with. And, um, and I, you know, I, I'm just happy to, to be, a, to have a Kentucky Derby this year. True that. True that. I guess we should count our blessings. Yeah, we should. We should. Sometimes we take things too much for granted. Now let's say, um, so Friday night, they can go where to listen to Barkley Tag on your podcast? Oh, just, well, where you found this one, you'll find that one, the Ron Flatter Racing Pod. You can also find it at Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeart. And if all that fails, vsin.com slash podcasts. And what I'll do is I'll put it up on our site, too, if you don't mind. Oh, very kind of you. Thank you. And uh, before we let everybody go, I wanted to let everybody know that we've got our Triple Crown and Breeders' Cup packages up. They're all in one the same because they all fall within the next 90 days. So uh, we've got a lot of great stuff. We've got got Saratoga and Del Mar running right now. We're going to have the the whole entire Churchill-Kentucky Derby uh, weekend meet on the first Saturday in September, which is really a month away. Believe it or not, uh, we're going to have um, uh, Kentucky Downs going to be on our on our list. Belmont will be very strong this year because a lot of two year olds are getting ready at Saratoga. Will not be ready for Saratoga. That's going to spill over into Del uh, into Belmont, and Belmont's going to be very strong in the first uh, in September with all these horses coming out of Saratoga that had got a late start. We have hired a clocker in uh, at Belmont, so we will have that. So we have those. You can go to racingwithbruno.com, and you can see all those packages. We also um, are working towards having um, uh, having Keeneland here uh, uh, in in October, which should be a really really fun meet. Uh, fans or no fans, Keeneland is always fun. And then, of course, going right into the to into the Breeders' Cup. So. Ron, thank you for your time. Uh, you can go to vsin.com. You can go to racingwithbruno.com and go to our podcast central and be able to get all of our podcasts. Thanks again, Ron. Thank you for coming on board. Thank you. And we will speak to you next week, which I'm hoping to have Norm Cassidy. Get more from Bruno by going to racingwithbruno.com. This has been the Racing with Bruno podcast.